0: Kerry and Droop and Kerry and Droop and Kerry and Droop. Kerry and Droop and Kerry and Droop. Kerry and Droop and Kerry and Droop. Kerry and Droop. Kerry and Droop. Kerry Andrew, my guest on this edition of the Music Meets podcast with me, Magica. Kerry Andrew, composer, performer and writer based in London. Her compositions are numerous and varied. Recently, her chamber operas Wood Woes and Darts Love won her a pair of gongs at the British Composer Awards. Kerry's also an accomplished performer with various different projects. She's one third of Juice Vocal Ensemble. She has her own alt-folk solo project, You Are Wolf. She performs with prog jazz sextet metamorphic and chamber jazz slash classical slash rock collective dollyman who do a very mean dolly parton megamix. She's very engaged in music education. She teaches or has taught at junior trinity the sound and music summer school and also at the brit school in the past where she found herself sharing vocal tips with a whole load of future shining stars of the pop world including a certain young lady called Adele. Kerry writes and broadcasts for the classical website Symphony, which I always want to call Sinfini, because it's kind of spelt like that, and she presents her own radio show on Haggerston Radio. She's a football fan and blogs about the beautiful game. She's currently working on her first novel, and in between all this, finds time to indulge in wild swimming, plunging herself into various bodies of water, usually extremely cold, including an annual dip into the sea on New Year's Day. Kerry, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. What is your first selection?
1: Uh, my first selection uh, ties quite nicely with what you just said because it's Like Water by Laura Moody.
0: Great.
2: Carved into your form, it you like <laughs>
0: Laura Moody with like water or like water or like water I don't never know how to say it I think I think from the text it's like water
1: I assume so yeah yes so
0: why did you choose this piece
1: well Laura is one of my favourite live artists as well as being a friend but I didn't choose her because she was a friend Um, I chose her because I do really admire her as a musician Um, she was in my year at York University and then we just always stayed in touch She, she has been part of the Elysian Quartet String Quartet but a few years ago in 2007 she started trying out her own solo material and I guess what I really love is uh, what i love about most musicians i'm really keen on is that there aren't really any boundaries you know I, what, if you had to describe that if you had to write about it you know what would you say you'd have to say five things you couldn't say one mm. that they're pop and songwriting elements but there's something of a sort of slight classical edge to her voice but not exclusively because i mean you heard quite a range of techniques there but over the whole of her album acrobats she just does all sorts of things um, and y- yodeling and grunting and growling and really breathy singing and all sorts. And I just love that um, as a live performer, she just uses voice and cello. And I really love hearing the difference between the live renditions of the songs I've heard mm. quite a lot um, and the quite subtle additions in production uh, that you hear there like the use of the field recording and the sort of manipulation of the cello
0: yeah my relationship with Laura's voice reminds me of my relationship with Joanna Newsom's voice mm. in that when I first heard both of them I was a little perturbed and surprised <laughs> and it took me a while and it wasn't really until I saw them live that mm. everything clicked into place I mean yeah. they have very different voices but what they have in common is that they play one instrument Joanna Newsom yeah. the harp Laura, the cello, obviously. And there's this kind of fusion between their voice and their instrument, which I think is really special, yeah. and that they're playing their instrument in a way that you wouldn't necessarily expect. I'm hearing techno in this. Yeah. Yeah. Same with Joanna Newsom. Often she's got a very poppy way of playing the harp. Yeah. It's not at all classical, I don't think.
1: Yeah, yeah I think... Well that's what's really lovely about lots of musicians who are our peers and us included is that there, there are no rules and there's nothing that you can't take from mm. and um, we've all taught together on the uh, Composition Summer School and I, Laura, I think it was just last year, said something which is great for me to hear as well which is that most composition or all composition is theft and that's fine and she t- she showed how she, she nicked the beats from a Kanye West track in one of the songs on her album but of course it's mixed with loads of other things like it might be mixed with, um, I don't know, a classical aria she mixes it really nicely Um, And I think Joanna Newsom is an influence on her from what I remember. I'm I'm sure she's name checked Mm. her before. Oh, that's interesting. As an inspiration. I didn't know that. Mm. So I guess,
0: yeah, I must have felt it. Um, Another link I think she has with Joanna is that these are actually really solid songs. They're really well written. I think it would have been very easy with, you know, her very unique, surprising voice and the fact that she's playing the cello you know that that's kind of almost enough information mm. is it you know and you would come and see her and you'd be fascinated but then there are the songs yeah. and I think I, I was listening to the album and I realized that some of the songs really reminded me of Joni Mitchell actually mm. A totally different voice I think that's
1: another influence
0: yeah okay I'm, I must be very, very sensitive to this but um yeah just the kind of songs that if it wasn't Laura singing them if it wasn't arranged with the cello yeah these would just sound like, I think, very traditional. I think, obviously, there's a, there's a strong folk influence here, but these songs could be covered, I think, and yeah. I think they I think they certainly stand up as compositions aside from who's performing them and how they're being performed.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think so. There's just lots of really singable bits. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah, You're right. I mean, you can be swept away by how clever she is, Mm. um, both in live performance and on the recording. But you're right. I mean, cleverness wouldn't be interesting if there wasn't something at the heart of it, which is some really singable material. Lovely. I just wanted to say, I I forgot to say um, just before about the track that we've just listened to and you talking about the voice and the instrument being really combined is my favourite bit um, of uh, Like Water, Like Water, uh, is just when she's, Going oh live and and then the other two parts yeah. are the harmony on the cello and I just love that because I sing in Juice which is a three-part a cappella um, group and so it just makes you think of Juice but there she is with her and her cello yeah t- two strings and voice it's yeah. very
0: poetic because it's like she's got a group for that moment she's got her backing <laughs> singers and it's just her cello actually yeah. you know. Surprise it to say that I said I had a, an interesting, complicated relationship with her voice and also with that of Joanna Newsom. I've ended up loving both. Mm-hmm. Laura's become a, a mate of mine and I'm a massive fan. Mm-hmm. And actually, if I'm going to kind of have a, a magicus thought of the day, <laughs> when someone comes along and sings in a way you're not expecting, maybe that's a good thing. Absolutely. <laughs> maybe we should go, whoa, yeah. that's kind of troubling and different and interesting. I'm going to keep listening to it and I'm going to go and see them live and I'm going to get it. She has a really unique take on singing, I think.
1: Yeah, she does. And I think she's starting to take off. I know she's doing festivals, you know. You you can't really come away from seeing Laura live and say anything i don't think you can say anything negative it might not quite be your thing i don't know but it's just i think she thinks she's wonderful and she's so engaging as a performer yeah, yeah. as well to actually see her live is, is she's she's totally charming you know in her in- intros but she's yeah. really really engaging and she really really draws you in as
0: mm. well well from a performer that we're advising you to go and see live <laughs> to some performers that you are absolutely not going to be able to see live see? ever <laughs> Um, not anymore. Anyway, um, when I first had the idea of doing this podcast, this was the first track that came to mind. So I've been saving it for Kerry to get your opinions on it. Uh, I'm not going to say anything about it. We're just going to listen to it and then we're going to get your opinions. This is ABBA with Under Attack.
2: I know nobody's fool, and get it
0: Okay, that was ABBA with Under Attack. Normally at this point I'd explain why I've chosen a track, but I just can't resist. What do you make of that?
1: I loved it. I grew up loving ABBA. My dad had an album and so I would play play the record, the old fashioned record, remember mm-hmm. those? Um, and I loved, I mean, I've always had a soft spot, especially for Money, Money, Money. That's one of my favourites. And I Have a Dream, me and my dad singing that in the car. So it's really exciting to hear that. And, but what's really strange is it's such a. it seems like such a mishmash of, yeah. of styles. It's really curious. It's got the sort of classic ABBA sound sort of in the harmonies in the chorus. Mm-hmm. And just the fact that it is really a well-written song and they're just, you know, talking about uh, fantastic songwriting with Laura's uh, piece. Well, just they were just amazing songwriters, this, yeah. just absolute top quality. Um, but it's it's sort of a, it. It sounds a bit like they they wanted to try about five different things in yeah, one song.
0: <laughs> absolutely. Well, I mean. I, I could. I started making notes, but the thing is, I could probably talk for three hours about this song. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm a abophile. I, I know everything, okay. even the deep cuts. I know the B-sides. I know the I've unreleased never heard tracks. i deep cut before.
2: That's deep cuts one is, one. you
0: know, when you go burying into albums and B-sides and <laughs> okay. stuff and you get a song that no one really knows. Mm. So this song was recorded, as you can probably imagine, right at the end. This was one of the last things they yeah. recorded. And it's a combination of utter confidence them coming off i don't know 10 years of hits and this kind of momentum they were doing an album a year and they despite the fact they were both getting divorced or they both been divorced they kind of kept going and what you get at the end of abba's career is this fascinating period particularly the album the visitors you feel this what i've written down joyless joy (laughs) it's 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 for me this music is utterly Uh, she's singing about paranoia I don't know how to take it don't know where to go you know I'm kind of flattered I suppose and all of this you know and the video as well is so creepy they're walking around this deserted kind of warehouse but musically those verses are so mysterious Mm. I mean they do the almost taboo thing of just taking out a beat every so often so it just the bars of three four you know alternating so at one point when I put it on Gary <laughs> kind of whooped like oh what was that <laughs> and it was I mean that's what they that's what they're going for is they're going for it's trying to make you feel so unstable and unsettled yeah. then the familiar abacorus comes yeah, in yeah. and it's it, it doesn't it kind of doesn't work but yeah, that's what really I love about it you feel this tension between where they want to go which actually for Benny and Bjorn is musical theatre right. the next thing they did was chess this could work I think in a musical in a kind okay. of you know 80s Musical. But do you
1: think... What, what's, what's the year
0: of this song, then, do you know? must have been about 82, I guess.
1: It just sounds like, you know, there was a bit... of Some of the bass line sounds really, you know, like Donna Summer or something. Mm. And, I don't know, some of the synth sounds aren't, aren't the sort of sounds that I would quite associate with ABBA. it just feels yeah. like they were... And the sort of vocal treatment, it feels like they're just trying to throw lots of things into the pot. Yeah. I'm not I, really saying that's a bad thing. It's just very... It is very surprising.
0: Yeah. I mean, I <laughs> suppose, actually, ABBA have always... You said you like Money, Money, Money. Well, I mean, that's yes. just a... Uh, 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 taking the mickey basically or you know aping um cabaret you know they'd sure. seen cabaret oh, and okay. liked it and said well let's we let's just do okay. what abba doing cabaret and they've always done that okay. they've done beach boys tracks they've done you know eagles they're always just kind of aping someone but i, I think here they're just kind of listening to funk and you know yeah. stuff and saying okay well let's yeah. try and do that yeah. but they've ended up with this incredibly weird mixture (laughs) and actually the reason why I love this track is that I think it sounds like nothing else yeah I I cannot I'd love you to play me a piece of music that sounds like that
1: I I mean I I don't think I could do that but what I was going to say that just you're saying the Beach Boys is is it makes me think of the Beach Boys in their most experimental phase where again they were just throwing lots of things in and a couple of time you know time signature changes all the the Beatles or you know any band that was sort of trying to push themselves a little bit it's just that you don't that, that to me is very surprising that, that Abba were, were creating stuff like that.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I think I'm fascinated by the point at which an artist or a group gets so confident mm. that they, they feel they can really experiment. It's happened to so many acts, you know, that you get buoyed on by the hits and now you think, okay... Now I'm going to use that momentum to do really interesting work and people are going to come with me. In the case of Abba, I think that it was just the end of their time anyway. And actually, I can dig around and I'm sure I will on future podcasts Mm -hmm. for other tracks earlier on that were odd. They've always had this, I mean, for me, they're the ultimate pop experimenters. They've always been very experimental in the way they invented recording techniques that we didn't really have before. It's just that the tune's always so good that that's what people sing and then you get you know abominations like mamma mia where people just take the tunes (laughs) and lose the whole sense of playfulness in the Mm. in the recording okay Mm. well if we can recover from that we're going to move on to your next i don't think this is going to help us (laughs) recover this is going to take us somewhere else let's move on to your second selection this
1: is dawn of midi and again it's like like water is it io or maybe io
0: was Dawn of Midi with IO tell me about Dawn of Midi
1: uh, well I saw Dawn of Midi in 2013 at Cafe Oto which is my favorite venue in London and I was just thinking listening to that now it's definitely probably one of my top five gigs ever um, and the reason was I didn't really know what to expect um, Andy my husband introduced me to this band and so we'd listen to the CD uh, the album once or twice um, but it doesn't quite, just like talking about Laura, really, uh, it doesn't quite uh, help you understand what's really going on until you actually see them do it. So um, Dawn of Midi are a trio, a rhythm trio from Brooklyn. I think they studied jazz. They sort of come from that background, uh, except they're not doing something that you'd call jazz or, well, what, what, what would you call it? I don't know. You'd sort of call it this sort of dance of techno, sort of really sparse techno elements but there's obviously lots of sort of clever classical techniques going on, polyrhythms and all sorts. I don't know. But the thing to know about this is that it's uh, the album is basically a through-composed piece um, that starts with that one where you just hear the the bass notes, uh, the double bass uh, starting out on its own, and it's not written down or they've memorised it. And it's an hour long, and uh, when we went and saw them, they'd already played a performance at six and We were sitting down right at the front, Andy and I, um, you know, really, really intimate performance. And you could see them sort of huddling together a bit like they were about to go into a battle because they'd already played it once. And when you saw them do it and you saw the sheer concentration on their faces because what they're doing is so difficult because they've just got these little riffs and rhythms which sort of phase and then lock into something and then it it sort of, Unteases um, and turns it something else, and you're just constantly trying to work out, or I am as a sort of nerdy muzo, what's going on, and what what time's oh we're in five, are we in fight at six? Seven, oh no, and it's disappeared. Suddenly everybody's independent again. It's really hard, but but amazing. And at the end of the uh, the nine o'clock show, which is the one that we saw, everybody went mental, <laughs> completely mad, um, and they just they just got up and they just stood there, sort of looking like they'd seen five ghosts, just just completely sort of dazed and traumatized because (laughs) mentally and physically it's it's such a feat to play this huge long shifting piece (laughs) Mm.
0: it's incredible I wonder what you get from it if you're why no I need to rephrase that (laughs) I was going to say what do you get from it if you're not a musician that's not what I mean because I think you could enjoy it of course you can but what I'm saying is that with musicians ears with composers ears and having studied classical music or classic you know composition Mm. I am playing little games in my mind to do basically where's the one, which yeah. is the fun game. Which when, <laughs> What we mean by that, <laughs> if, if you don't know what that means, is where is the first beat of the bar? And of course, this is all relative because it doesn't matter. <laughs> but it does matter because in my mind, when those kind of bare fifths are chiming on the beat, mm. it sounds very miserable. It sounds like chimes of doom. Dong, dong, <laughs> dong, dong. And when exactly the same thing is on the offbeat, boom, boom. <laughs> dong, dong, it sounds like reggae. So by me shifting and I'm making little bars of seven, so I'm going, okay, dong, dong, on the beat, let's go off beat, dong, dong, dong. And in my mind it suddenly shifted. Nothing's shifted, it's all just my yeah, perception of yeah. it. But then I mean, I think if I were to experience the full hour-long performance, like yeah. you would with any kind of minimalisty based yeah. music. After a while, I think the idea is that your brain switches off, or at least you access a different part of your brain and it becomes more of a visceral experience. Yeah,
1: I, I think so. I think for me, I've seen them do this set twice actually. And it's funny, I, I saw them again and there were just a few, but it wasn't quite, everybody wasn't quite so into it. A few people being more distracted. I'm like, come on, you know, you're either totally in it or you might as well just be out of the room. Yeah, yeah. You have to be totally involved because they are. Um, yeah, and I think when I saw it both times, I I think I sort of it fluctuated. I'd sort of drift in because you could sometimes work. out, Obviously, you could work out when it's suddenly in, in a sort of dancey feel and it's in four. Everybody could, and then everybody's moving in the way that they mm. they know how to dance in four. Yes, but is it? Um, That's but the is thing. it? Well, who knows? They're I hearing mean, a four. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't flipping um, And I've got a PhD in composition.
0: And why physics. can't you dance? Why can't you dance in five?
1: Well, I I can. So you know, I know if it's five for quite a long time. Um, but yeah, I found myself sort of weaving in and out. But but you're right, it, it, it ends up being something much more visceral. And, and I, I love that. I love watching people, other people move and seeing how they move because actually it's so complicated that you just sort of do a general sort of move and, mm-hmm. and that's lovely, sort of moving with it. And you don't really know what's going on yeah. and that's fine. It's sort of just taking you on this amazing shifting journey. Yeah.
0: Okay, we're going to move on to my second choice. I am going to play a game with you. <laughs> oh, I'm not yeah. going to tell you what this is. <laughs> I, there are no points to be won oh, here, and and if you uh, yeah, there's, and there's no wrong or right answers. Mm. Uh, I'm just going to tell you that this piece is called, in my best Latin, "Tristis est anima mea."
2: Sustene.
0: Okay, what did you make of that?
1: Um, This makes me think of on Monday nights when I watch University Challenge and Jeremy Paxman says, and now music round. I'm going to play you a piece of classical music and it throws me into a wild panic. Me too. Because... I almost never
0: know it Me neither <laughs>
1: uh, Including uh, at least twice when the answer has been Handel And I've been the Handel House composer in residence
0: um, Shame, shame, so, I
1: fired So, so I listened to this the whole time like, like I'm just, you know, in a wild panic Thinking, you know, it's either I don't know I don't know if we know Tallis or Bird or Jesse Waldo or Monteverdi Or it was written last week or by Benny and Bjorn So, you know Okay <laughs> Well, you'd be
0: very pleased to hear that in amongst all of those names... <laughs> Benny and Bjorn! <laughs> it was Benny... No, it was not Benny and Bjorn. It was Jesualdo. Oh, was it? Yeah. Actually, to
1: be completely... If I'm totally honest. That was my first idea. Well, why, do,
0: don't, why don't you explain why you were gravitating towards okay. Jesualdo? Because you're probably going to explain all the reasons oh, why I chose this I piece. don't
1: think so, really, because I, I have to admit, you know, I know very little about early music. The only thing I know about Jesualdo uh, in a sort of pop culture yes, sort of way... Yes, I know is, where this is going. <laughs> ...is the sort of... the idea of microtonality um, not that he would have called it that but the sort of shifts in, in tonality because of the harmony he's using um, that it doesn't sound sort of just like just yeah. intonation I suppose or as just intonations you can get with voices there's just sort of strange subtle harmonic shifts oh, and surprises that isn't I where
0: I was going okay. when you spoke about oh, pop what do I know <laughs> I, no 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 you're quite right when you spoke about kind of pop culture yeah. and pop approach to things I thought you were going to talk about the fact that he murdered his wife
2: oh Like OK magazine of the
0: 17th century. (laughs) Um, Well, you see, I was hoping to trick you, but you're too good. I was hoping (laughs) that you would say, oh, well, it's obviously 20th century because that's what we used to do in our A-level class. My music teacher, Mr. Palmer, used to test us because that's what you had to do. You had to put on a piece of music and you had to say, oh, this is romantic, early romantic, therefore it could be Mm -hmm. Mozart. And you had to give potential names. And every time he would play the most... Odd, disconcerting, and to our ears very contemporary mm. bits of Jesuelda, and we'd always say 20th century. <laughs> could could be a tavern or some, and and every time he'd say, nope. 17th century carlo gesualdo so this piece was written in 1611 Mm. what is amazing to me is that this is kind of you could say this is atonal music before tonal music so this is before all the rules if you want to call them that of tonal music were established this is him inventing the kind of like opposite to that so if you imagine that this music um happened before mozart Mm you know then it gives you a bit of perspective into what's going on there some of it sounds very poppy to me there's this little tune at the end where it kind of goes yeah. I'm like oh okay there's that's the catchy tune yeah. some of it is incredibly modern i think to my ears that's why I, that's why i love it well so much.
1: i thought maybe you know my mind is working over time and i was thinking oh, he's, he's trying to trick me so to me it sounds uh, renaissance and uh, but slightly odd. So I think, okay, maybe it is uh, neoclassical. You know, mm. it's got a sort of neoclassical sound. I don't know much about neoclassical music really, but uh, I remember studying Pulcinella by Stravinsky and it's got, it, it sounds like Baroque music, I think. I think it was Baroque, but just sort of askew and odd. And and I think it's got the same sort of vibe. It's yeah. sort of, it definitely sounds renaissancey. Um, but it just sounds like... And, and it's really interesting listening to it in context with lots of other music because uh, just having heard the ABBA, it just sort of makes me think of ABBA. But also the, the, the way...
0: My work here is done.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the way that... Um, uh, I don't know their surnames, I'm sorry. Benny and Bjorn. Um, feel like they're, they're throwing a few things in and that there's these sort of quite abrupt shifts. Mm. And it feels like even in the Jesualdo there's some quite abrupt shifts, not just between sections, but within sections
0: as well. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the story, if I'm going to go all kind of, you know, OK Magazine of the 17th century on you, <laughs> the story is, I mean, it, apparently it's well documented that he did kill his wife and he did have a hand in it. He did actually stab her. He got some servants to do the, the awful parts, including apparently uh, accounts so graphic that they are still shocking to uh, Game of Thrones wow. uh, touched eyes uh, because he wanted to basically his, his wife was having an affair and he wanted to teach her a lesson. But then he suffered. And he continued to write music. I I, I think this was written just before he died, actually. And a lot of scholars say that every time he would set the word love or, you know, heart or anything like that, then it would be twisted because he couldn't live with himself. He couldn't live with what he did. So there's a whole story there, you know, kind of gossip, gossip magazine. (laughs) But um, I think that's absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Okay. for your final choice, I've asked you to select something that uh, you've been involved in and you've chosen what?
1: Uh, I've chosen a track from uh, an album that I released last year, uh, the debut album as uh, one of the projects I do, You Are Wolf, and it's called Swan Song.
3: Come all you young fellows That handle a gun Beware of night rambling By the setting of the sun and beware of an accident that happened of late to young Molly born and sad was her He quickly ran to her and he found she was dead And there on her bosom many salt tears he shed I have shot that fair damsel I have taken the life of the one I intended To take as my wife Singing we were As he looked on the
2: lake All he could
3: Come drink with me Under the cold moon silk The glass lid moon The <laughs> <A> glasses.
0: <lift. laughs> the deep death. So that was You Are Wolf with Swan Song, and first of all, a little disclaimer. So um, I have heard this piece once or twice before. Um, I had the great pleasure of co-producing and mixing Kerry's debut album as You Are Wolf. Mm. And we were just remarking as it came on that this is not the first time I've had this conversation on the podcast, how you collaborate with someone, you work really hard on it, uh, record it together often, may have lots of conversations. Sometimes you're not in the same country or not in the same, you know, room as the person, get things signed off, and then you never sit and listen to the finished thing with the person you worked with. And it's a bit of a shame, really. I mean, there are great advantages to the modern world and modern technology, but that's one of the downsides, definitely. You never get to have a proper debrief and go, oh, look what we've done. Yeah. So this, we're doing yeah, it now. we're doing
1: it right now. And that's lovely. Yeah, it's strange. And it, I mean, even just for me, I haven't listened to it. I occasionally listen to one or two tracks on my, my headphones on my phone or something, but it's nice to listen on some decent speakers as well. So it's not, But it's very nice. It's quite strange listening with you. It's, it's, it's strange because I just feel like, uh, I don't know, I feel like I would if I was playing it with anyone else listening, except you You were there, you were there at the beginning, it's, it's quite strange, but it's nice, it's nice to hear it. It's like it's sort of come full circle,
0: actually, yeah, that we finally listen to it together. I suppose <laughs> when else, like, socially, would yeah. you do that? I mean, you might have an album release, but then it'd probably yeah. be lots of people talking, or, yeah. you know... Um, I I had an experience where a friend of mine uh, lost her father and he'd recorded an album very late in his life, just before he passed away. And so to kind of, as a a kind of, I don't know what you call it, not a wake, but, you know, a musical celebration Mm. of his life, we all got together and listened to the CD. Of Mm. course, it was incredibly emotional and lots of tears were shed, but it was beautiful to sit there and have his voice there and, you know, listen to things together. And then I thought, well, when do we ever listen to recorded music together anymore?
1: Well, what's i actually did andy my husband and i did um because our then neighbors who are basically our doppelgangers who have now moved out um we went round to theirs for dinner for the first time and they've got uh, a record player and uh, nick loves vinyl and, and we sat after dinner and we listened to stuff and i was like oh my god we used to do that uh, as students we used mm. to sit in each other's bedrooms especially music students go oh listen to this oh my god listen to this and sit and listen to stuff and it's true and and th- just this experience of the podcast makes me think of of listening parties. I know that that used to happen. When I lived in East London, there was some sort of listening party thing, Mm. like a public one, but... I don't think it lasted long, but it's such a lovely thing. And it's different from, as you say, being in a, a live experience. Mm. It's completely different, uh, but it's very meaningful.
0: Okay, I'm going to copyright right now <laughs> the Music Meets event. <laughs> this is it. It's going to happen. Music Meets live with Magica. And we'll just sit around, listen to some unusual music. I'll hunt out some more deep cuts by ABBA and uh, we'll get there. So do you want to just tell me quickly about the, about the track?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, It's funny, because it's not my favourite track on the album, uh, but it's one of my favourite folk songs, and it's just, listening to it again, I just feel very, very emotional. I I haven't performed it for a while either, just because I haven't quite got an arrangement together for it, really. But I love this song, Molly Bourne. It's an Irish song with uh, some Scots versions as well, but like all folk ballads, it has many versions. Um, But it's one that fascinates a lot of people, and I was talking to our mutual friend Sam Lee uh, the other week, and mentioned something to do with Molly Bourne and he said that's the song that when he goes around collecting he always says do you know a version of Molly Bourne that's like the one he uh-huh. asks um, so it means a lot to, to various people and I don't know why it has roots in the swan maiden myth it's basically about a guy who accidentally shoots a girl his fiancee or his lover because he mistakes her for a swan. And there as are lots you of do. different As you do. And there are lots of different outcomes. But the reason I chose it is because about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago, I started getting more into writing and I did a, a Getting Started in Fiction course. And one of the things I really liked trying out in my exercises was taking folk ballads that I knew and writing a sort of modern version because that's sort of what I want to do with the You Are Wolf project. It's taking these old songs that I, I really love, love finding out about and trying to just uh, put them in a contemporary, mm. uh, you know, sort of contemporary voice uh, without trying to sort of ram that down its throat. It's always about the songs first, yeah. but it's just putting my own stamp on it and that happens to hopefully mm. be something that feels relatively new. And so what I ended up doing was writing a novel, um, which is called Swan Song and takes the Molly Bourne song uh, and ballad and story uh, as a sort of central thread, but it's a contemporary story mm-hmm. about a sort of bit of a waster student who's up in this part of Scotland I love. And anyway, that's, it's been taken on by an agent, Matthew, and I'm hoping it's very early stages. I've, still, I've just handed in another edit, so you know I don't know what's going to happen with it, but basically this song made me write a novel. And, and I love that way around. I, at university, I had to write a chamber orchestra piece And I find it quite hard to do pieces without any words in it. And it was just a chamber orchestra piece, no voices. So I wrote a poem, Mm -hmm. uh, and that helped me write the piece. So I always like to call the chamber orchestra piece... Um, an accompaniment to the poem the small poem rather than the other way you around
0: you know what we might be able to continue this conversation after my next uh, piece for a very kind of abstract reason I want to talk to you about alignment and it sounds to me that by you doing this song you create a kind of creative alignment that allows a novel to <laughs> flow through mm. you kind of need a way in if yeah. you see what I mean so this piece is uh, one from a recent EP I made with a Tunisian vocalist Amina Anabi and the piece is called Made in Shaman <laughs> was Amina Anabi with Made in Shaman featuring myself. What do you make of that track?
1: Yeah, I loved it. Um, I immediately went, oh, <laughs> when it started because, uh, you know, one of the things that we, why we probably get on is because we both really like the voice and what it can do and the voice being used as an instrument. And so just hearing the little vocal intro that you hear right at the end and, and the use of the voice throughout both in the accompanying textures and of course her own sort of lovely colors and sonorities is a really really nice mm.
0: mix. I mean obviously it's it's quite a kind of tongue in cheek track really. That's why yeah. we called it Made in Shaman like Made mm. in China. It's just a, a kind of bit of a silly name because our approach was very playful. I mean it is actually all vocal some of it is samples that I then play, you know. So that, for example the very high synth sound is a is a voice that's just been pitched very high and same with the bass do, do, do. And obviously the beatbox is, is the beat. I mean it's it's kind of just a like a world tour really. Yeah. <laughs> I mean I mean uh, is Tunisian, but she's lived in France for many years. Um, you you obviously at points here, the kind of Maghreb tradition, the yeah, kind of North African sort of, tradition.
1: Yeah, not Natasha Atlas.
0: Yeah, five. but actually the opening melody, I think, is very Indian. The ornaments, I think she surprised herself where that came from, really. And then at the end, you get this kind of shamanistic. The low stuff. Yeah, she often spends a lot of time in, in Sweden, from the, the north of Sweden. So, you know, and, and there's a shaman in her village who sings on the rock oh. who literally comes out with a drum. So, you know, all of this has seeped into so what I wanted to talk about really was I mean alignment is a very heavy word and that's not really what I mean what I mean is setting up the conditions in order to do what you do and in your case that might be writing a song in order to write a book or writing a poem in order to write a piece in the case of live performers for example I I work with an Indian vocalist and she needs a drone you give her one note that doesn't shift and she will do her thing that's all she needs Mm to be in alignment any more than that and it could be a distraction you know um, with Amina we created a, a backing track that was rich enough and had enough groove that she could do her thing but then we just started playing and the more we you know then we did these kind of hey yeah hey kind of backing vocals then she wanted to take it further so then she was doing the shame and ah, yeah, 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 stuff because of what had just happened before but she wouldn't have got there if she hadn't have kind of given herself enough support beforehand so, to, to so get this there piece,
1: it, it evolved completely organic yeah
0: content. it's it evolved, it's nearly all yeah. Im- improvised actually oh, wow
1: um Oh, I just wanted to ask, uh, you just saying about all the different influences in it, whether you ever thought about a vocal style and you thought, oh, let's get some of that in there, or did everything come very organically? in term? And then you, afterwards you, you can comment, oh, it sounds a bit like this part mm. of the world or this part of the
0: world. Well, I mean, that kind of link, I will answer your question, but it kind <laughs> yeah. of links to something else I wanted to say, which is very often I try to record at home, or at least in a recording space that is so comfortable that you feel like you're at home. And... How I'm answering your question is that mm. I, I just don't know because actually we're so comfortable recording. We get some ideas. We have some tea. We have some more ideas. It flows so naturally and often so fast. It's very important to me actually to try and work fast because then you don't get into the the brain. The brain monster rears its head and starts to ask you all kinds of different questions. Oh, but, you know, isn't this... you know I, I read an article, a review of Tune Yards, actually, and they were talking about cultural appropriation. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, and I was and, like, um, oh, for heaven's sake, this is when the brain... Is stopping creativity. Yeah,
1: I've heard that with Vampire Weekend as well. How dare these white boys from New York use sort yeah. of got ghanaian High Life. They're and not saying we're Ghanaian and we're playing High Life. They're just, just taking ridiculous. that element and in, in the world today, you know, Debussy did that uh, over a hundred years ago. So we're allowed to. But I
0: tell Fine. you what is really great is when you hear a Japanese group trying to do, <laughs> oh. you know, something like pop music and they just don't get it right and it's fascinating and no one's going to, no one cares, you know.
1: The reason I was asking about, yeah, was, I wasn't saying You are you are a culture (laughs) appropriators, is that a word? But but because it made me think of Meredith Monk, because she once said a long time ago somebody asked her, oh something here sounds Native American and something here sounds uh, like it's maybe from Tibet or or you know Mm. somewhere else, and asking her what her influences were, and she always she she refused to accept that. She said it just comes from me, and that there's there's a universal language. You might think it sounds. Uh, like Native American but actually you know I'm not thinking that it just comes from yeah. within and I think that's what I'm interested in yeah like you say the brain the brain working mm. and sort of trying to label things and sure some things have become much more prevalent and styles exist Yeah, but there's no reason why these things have to be put in boxes some of them just come from outside and we just borrow and steal and exactly. put it all into one pot and some of it comes just like you say naturally mm. so that maybe your vocalist yeah so it sounded slightly Indian but she wasn't trying to do that it just came from what it she it just
0: was came doing. exactly mm-hmm. yeah um I think whenever it's forced, you feel it, you know, that's the thing. And that's why I get very frustrated when people talk about cultural appropriation when a piece of music is so full of joy and so exuberant, Mm -hmm. you think, well, whatever, whatever meant that the artist could get to the place where they're just in alignment or whatever you want to call it, firing on all cylinders, doing their thing. I don't care what got them there. What's pleasurable is the fact that it got them there. And if it's some Ghanaian musicians trying to play a Japanese koto, which they don't know how to play, that can be really <laughs> yeah, interesting. So yeah. long as it's they're having fun and while they're doing yeah, it. Yeah,
1: I think the idea is really that there are no rules, and and just thinking about my stuff as you are Wolf. You know, sometimes people have said, "Oh, what have the sort of the folk crowd thought about yeah. your work?" But actually, mostly the folk crowd incredibly open and more open than uh, say jazz fans yeah. or something like that. Um, but I said, you know, again, it's just, it just it just doesn't matter. They're these songs, and you can do what you like with them. There are no rules, you know. Do what you like,
0: okay? Do what you like. We're (laughs) going to keep that, and when we do our little vocal impro (laughs) in a second, we can use that as a theme. Do what you like, okay? Just before that, what are you working on at the moment? You've told us about your novel that's coming up, yeah.
1: So that's sort of happening at the moment. Um, I'm working on a piece for Derby Choral Union. Um, I've just come out of writing a load of commissions, and it's going to be a bit quieter for a couple of months and then i've got more stuff which i actually probably can't confirm yet but some really exciting commissions but actually i'm loving writing words at the moment and i want to do lots of that okay and juice have got loads coming up as
0: well. so lots of writing mm. both wordy and musicy yes great if you would like to find out more about this podcast, as ever, you can go to magica.com forward slash podcast where you're going to find show notes for each of the episodes and, of course, links to all the music we've been listening to. If you'd like to get in touch, please do. You can send an email podcast at magicka.com or follow me on Twitter at Magica. And we're going to leave you, as promised, with a little vocal impro. I think the theme, do what you like. There are no rules. I think that's a good a good way to start. So unusual time signatures, maybe. Fine. Okay, let's go. Let's go tik 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 bu ka o tik 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 tik
3: do you? What do you? Do Do you? Do 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 Do
0: you? Do Do you? Did we do what we liked? Yes. Give it two. Give it Give it two. Give it two. Give it two. Give it a Give two. <laughs> give it a droop, uh, give it a droop, give it a it <laughs>
1: uh, I wasn't quite expecting this. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
3: wow.